Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Who has seen Interstellar? Our, okay, one time I asked if... I thought Lord of the Rings was going to be like, everyone saw Lord of the Rings. No one saw Lord of the Rings. Interstellar, I was kind of going out on a limb here, and we had about six. All right. So, oh, Hank, you have? Hank, did you understand it? Tina has? Okay. Who watched it and understood what was happening? Titch did. Okay. That's, that's good. So, uh, just because we have, don't have a whole lot of people who have seen Interstellar, I'll give you the quickest overview. In Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey finds out that someone's trying to send him a message through, like, gravity, like, through his daughter. And long story short, somehow they traveled, like, back in time through, like, a fourth dimension. And really what I love about Interstellar is there's an amazing soundtrack. They go to all these different planets, and you're just like, when I watched it, I was, like, in trance. And the next day I went and watched, like, the late movie at the movie theater. So I saw it, and I was like, I have to see that again. And I went and saw it at, like, 1030 and it's like a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and I was the same way. I was like, how? This is amazing. One of the things about Interstellar is that these beings just felt like a concept. I mean, the whole movie, you're like, what, you know, what is this? What are these things? What, what is actually sending gravity through this, um, through this girl's room? And you find out later that somehow through a fourth dimension, it was them. It's very confusing. My point is, sometimes God seems more like a concept than a reality, right? He's like, what really, like, who is God? You know what I mean? What's, what's really going on? Is he there? Do I feel him? I, I know I'm supposed to feel him. I talk to my friends, or at church I talk about how much I feel him, but I, he's more of a concept than a reality to me right, to me right now, and what do we do when that is true? What do we do with that? When we start to think, is God really there? Is he near? Is he close? Or is he just like Zeus, you know, casting down thunderbolts from on high? This morning we're going to walk through the parable of the prodigal son, and hopefully from a 30,000 foot view we're able to see that God is really near. Wherever you're at, God is there. So our normal mode of preaching here at Southside is that we take large chunks of Scripture, um, and we just finished um, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. So we normally take large chunks of Scripture, and we walk through it week by week. And um, after this week into next week, we're still going to be in talking about how Autumn teaches us about seasons of discipleship, and then um, leading into December, we'll be in to Advent. But normally, we take large chunks of scripture, sometimes a whole book in the Bible, and we do what we call a leisurely stroll. We walk through it, sometimes one verse at a time, sometimes a little bit bigger, but um, we take that leisurely stroll together, and Greg announced last week that in 2022, we will be taking a leisurely stroll through Ephesians, which is going to be really exciting. Um, Ephesians is awesome. When I lived in Virginia... Um, so in Virginia, you get a vanity plate for like $10. It's amazing. Like, Virginia has the most vanity plates per capita everywhere. Everyone has a vanity plate. And I thought it was so cool because I lived in Ohio, and it was like my mom was not going to let me get a vanity plate when I was 16. Right, Mom? Okay. 
She's right there, so hopefully that's true. I wanted it to probably say like Buckeyes or something like that. So I got this vanity plate, and it had an Ohio State block O on it, even though it was Virginia. It was incredible, and it said Ephesians 2, 5, and I thought it was amazing. All that to say, Ephesians is incredible, and I'm really excited for that. But this morning, um, we're in the parable of the prodigal son, and I want to focus I want to focus on the parable of the prodigal son from the standpoint that God is near. Whether you have a solid foundation of who he is and you're with him or he feels like a concept, God is near. So a couple of weeks ago, we were talking around about John 16 and Kara um, shared something amazing that stuck out to her and I was like, wow, that's really incredible. And In John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and his disciples don't know, but Jesus is about to to go to the cross. And Jesus said, you are all going to go to your homes. You're going to scatter away. And Jesus says, but I will not be alone because my Father is with me. So Jesus was explaining to the disciples that even though all of his friends his closest comrades. They might go home and hide and probably be afraid. Jesus wasn't alone because he had the Father with him. And what we learn from that is that as believers, if you have Jesus, the Father is always with you too. We've been talking about Christian paradoxes for the last couple months. And a paradox is when you take two opposing ideas and they fit somehow. Um, And the paradox we learned from John 16 about God's nearness is that as a Christian, you can be lonely, but never alone. You can be lonely, but never alone. Here's why. Because loneliness is an emotion, right? And those are valid. We talked about that about four months ago, that the, the emotions that well up within you, whether they're good or bad, those are valid emotions. And Jesus wants to deal with you exactly how you are. Loneliness is an emotion, I've been in a crowd of 100 people that I've known and felt lonely, right? You can feel lonely, but being alone is a fact. You're either alone or you're not. Loneliness is how you feel. Being alone is either true or false. And what Jesus teaches us in John 16 and what we're going to see here in the parable of the prodigal son is that you can be lonely, but never alone. Because if you have Christ, the Father is always with you. The Father is always with you. So wherever you are today, wherever you land on the spectrum, wherever, however you feel about God, He's much nearer than you think. He's much nearer than you think. You might be far in proximity, so we're going to see the younger brother ran away. You might be really, really close, but you feel like God doesn't even see you. He's there. This parable is most famously known as the prodigal son, and other preachers who are a lot smarter than me have written books, and I'm sure that this message this morning is not going to be in like a commentary website that you can look up and like use it for anything. Some, some preachers call it the, prodigal, or the parable of the prodigal sons, because there's an older brother and a younger brother, and you can see there's tons of implications in this, in this parable. I mean, it's been preached exhaustively over the years, and it's been really important for my life too. 
This morning, as you can see on your notes, I am going to preach it from this side of the parable of the loving father. The parable of the loving father. So let's just do a quick overview of what's happening. I'm not going to read all 21 verses again. But in this story, we have a father who allows his youngest son, allows, okay, allows his youngest son to take his inheritance early. So he asked his dad, hey, can I just have that? Like, I'm good with whatever you got going on over here. I want my money. And the father says, okay, it's fine. You can have it. And it says, not many days later, so like quickly, you got, this is amazing, quickly the son squandered it away. I mean, fast. Not many days. I mean, he's saying very few days. Right, Sean? Thank you. Very few days. The son squandered it away. And after a few days of humiliation and starvation, the son, I mean, the son asked to eat with the pigs, right? And even the farmer wouldn't feed him. He shamefully returns home. And he, he works up this plan in his, in his mind. He's like, all right, I'm going to like beg my father to let me be a hired servant. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back shamefully. I my tail between my legs. And I'm just going to tell my dad, I'm not worthy of being your son. I recognize it. I mean, it reminds me of, so I made some prank calls when I was like in fourth grade. Ridiculous, all right? I learned it from basketball camp, and I was like, you can just open a phone book and call someone? This is amazing. And we did it for hours. And, and then, uh, hours, legitimately. So we had this idea that because, I don't know why we were... Fourth graders, I don't know how old you are when you're in fourth grade, but not, probably not very street smart at that point. I was like, there's no way this person has caller ID. It can't, okay? Look at the address, not nah, caller ID, nope, not possible. So that was our logic. We got all these phone calls back to my house. <laughs> and my mom and dad, and I remember my mom specifically, Alexander! And when I got called Alexander, it was like, oh. Okay. So... I had the same type of plan that the prodigal son had. I, I remember I came into the office and I said, I'll just take my punishment. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can give it to me. I deserve it. And I tail between my legs and I'm sure I got my punishment and I went up to bed. That's what's happening with the younger son. He re- like he's, he's not like surprised that he, ma- like he knows what he's done. And he comes back and he's expecting the father to disown him. And the father doesn't disown him. He excitingly runs to him and throws him an expensive party to celebrate that he was lost and now is found. Incredible, radical love. And in that story, there is an older brother who was working in the field. And he heard the party happening, probably like, man, I'm out here slaving away. And there's a party going at my house. Like, who's this party for? Like, what, did I, what was the memo I missed, right? And he asks the servant, what's, who's that party for? And could you imagine, all right? Think about your younger sibling taking the family fortune and then losing it all. And you know it. And then what you hear is your dad throwing a party for them. The older brother became bitter and angry. He felt like he didn't get what he was owed. 
And not only that, he felt like the younger brother didn't get what he was owed because what he was owed was to be disowned from the family. He felt like he deserved a party himself. And the father comes near to him as well. The story of the prodigal son can be summed up like this. There were two sons who were far off and a father who was always near. Two sons who were far off and a father who was always near. So let's talk about, this is in your notes, let's talk about the different ways that these brothers were far off. We have a younger brother. Verse 13, 14. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he took the inheritance, and he squandered it all. And he comes up with this plan. He says in verse 20, Sorry, in verse 18, I will rise and go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the younger brother, how was he far off? Okay, so he was far off in proximity. He ran away from home, that's true. But he also felt far off from his father. As he thought about what his dad would do as he returned what he thought was going to happen was his dad was going to disown him. So he felt like he was unworthy of being a child. The younger brother went away to live recklessly, and he thought, I've outsinned my dad. I've disappointed him so much, there's no possible way he's going to call me his son again. And so he felt far off. He felt like the only thing he could do was crawl back and beg and the best, I mean, he thought best case scenario was that his dad was going to treat him like a hired servant and let him work and have three square meals. And so he felt like he didn't deserve. There was nothing in him that deserved his dad to take him back. So the younger brother felt far off from the way that he sinned and, act, and acted. The older brother, the older brother was far off because he was close in proximity. He worked in the field. But the older brother was trusting his own works instead of trusting his father. He, he was far off from the father because he thought that if he slaved away in the fields and he did all the things that he was supposed to do and he obeyed well enough and he worked hard enough, then in due time, the father was going to give him some sort of party. The older brother was far off because he thought that if he did enough, the father would accept him. And so it led him down this path where he was working for the acceptance of his father. The younger brother knew, the father's not going to accept me. The older brother thought, if I work hard enough, the father will. Two different ways to be far off, but very similar, because the, both brothers in this scenario... Both brothers wanted their inheritance more than they wanted the father. The younger brother wanted to enjoy the father's gift without ever having to do anything with the father, right? He's like, Dad, you keep doing what you're doing. Give me my money. I'm done with you. I want what you can give me. The older brother wanted to receive his inheritance too. You know, it wasn't so much that he was mad that his brother came home and got a party. He was mad that he wasn't given a party. 
He was mad that he didn't get an inheritance himself. And so both brothers, in both cases, wanted what the father could give them instead of wanting the father. Both of their heart postures were the same, and they played out different ways. They wanted what God could give them without ever wanting God. And both led to pretty horrible endings until the father comes and rescues them. What do you miss? What do you miss if you enjoy the gift without enjoying God? You, you miss the best possible way to live. The younger brother enjoyed the gift without enjoying God, and he came to the end of himself quickly. Okay? Not many days later, all of it gone. You come to the end of yourself fast, and I, I've felt like this before. When I try to enjoy the gift that God gives me without enjoying God, it's like my well runs dry like that. He wanted all the gifts of God without ever wanting God. And it ended poorly. I mean, he was eating with pigs. Actually, he wanted to eat with the pigs. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's disgusting to me. I like the fair because I like French fries. The pigs smell disgusting. I mean, maybe some of you love that smell. To me, I'm like, this is, like, pungent. All right? And it's one thing if you're tending to the pigs, but he was trying to live with the pigs. He was trying to do anything he could to just get food. He wanted to enjoy God's gift without enjoying God, and it led him to a bad place. But what happens if you try to earn your way to God? What happens if you think that your work is going to give you the party? Well, you become bitter. And you become angry. And yesterday, in our men's Bible study, we talked about what happens when you feel like you're owed something. And when you feel like you're owed something from God, you're not going to be delighting in God because you think, well, why hasn't God given me that thing that I deserve and that I'm owed? And so you build a barrier between you and God and he starts to feel far off because, well, God didn't give me what I thought that I was supposed to get. And when you try to earn your way to God instead of working out of delighting in God, you become bitter and angry like the older brother. You start to think that God owes you something instead of seeing that you already have everything you need in God right now. So the younger brother was delighting in the gift without delighting in God, and the older brother was delighting in his work without delighting in God, and both resulted in hearts that were far off. The proximity didn't matter. The younger brother ran away. The older brother was, you know, proverbially in the church. They both were far off. Because they both wanted something that the father could give them instead of wanting the father. And what they needed more than anything else, and what you need, and what I need more than anything else, isn't the riches that the Father can give me, but the Father. So let's talk about the loving Father. What do we see here? You, I mean, I'm sure if we just sat around, we could pull out tons of stuff. But you guys are keeping me accountable to, to not do 50-minute messages, right? We're still doing that? It's like, it's sunny out. We're allowed to, I don't know. Okay. We have a father who is patient. That's in your notes. A father who is patient. So let's look at how Jesus describes the father. 
with the younger brother. He squandered all of his inheritance. Not just squandered it, he squandered it on things like, you know, I have a tendency to say things like, why would you ever do that? You know, it's not like he made a good bet investment and the company went, you know, bankrupt. He, like, there was no return on his investment at all. There wasn't a chance. So, you know, it's, it's heightened even a little bit. Like, that was a really dumb thing to do, kid. How could you do that? Just how patient is God? He didn't have a whole lot of time to get over the fact that his son not only just left, and not only just took the inheritance. It takes me a while to like finally come to myself and say, all right, I'm over it. That thing that happened to me, I'm over it. You know, I had to do some work. I had some resentment, but I'm over it. But the father didn't even have time because it was not many days later the son had squandered all that he had been given to him. So the father didn't even have time to process his resentment to his son. He didn't even have time to realize how much resentment there really was in what we learn about the father, which is our father, God. Something really sweet. He wasn't resentful at all. He wasn't even holding a grudge. He was the farthest thing from disowning his child. What did he do instead? In verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. The implication of what the father was doing, how patient the father really was with his lost son, was that he, he actually stopped doing all of the work that he must have needed to do to tend to his house. He took the day off. He took vacation to stand at his driveway waiting for his son to return. And as he saw him in a distance, he ran to him. He ran to him. He wasn't resentful to his child. He was overcome by compassion. And his response to the child that returns, it, it wasn't like, how could, like, that's what I think I'd be saying. How could you do this? Like, what? He says, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. Now we have to get this. He couldn't care less about his fortune. Like the father, just he didn't even mention the fortune. The fortune's gone, he doesn't care. He didn't throw down the gauntlet. He accepted him and he was excited. He was actually like radical what he was feeling towards his son. And that would, be, that would have been shocking to those who were listening because in this culture they were expecting, I mean, just a little bit before we see that he's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, he's talking to the Pharisees, they're expecting the father to throw down the gauntlet. And probably some of them are like ready to hear about the character of God and cheer it on. Like that's what the character of God is, that's how I am, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet too. Don't do me wrong. And what would have shocked them the most was that the father didn't not just disown his child, he ran to him and hugged him and said, you were lost and now you're found. 
You were lost and now you're found. So here's the good news, that if you went and squandered every good gift that God has ever given you, and I'm talking to Southside right now, you can, you can write down the list. I've squandered this, I've squandered this, I've squandered this. I messed up with that, I messed up with that, I messed up with that. The Father is ready for you to come to Him, and He will run to you. He's ready and willing to embrace you with love and compassion. He's near, okay? So He's patient, He's waiting, He's at the end of the driveway saying, I can see you, and I'm, I'm coming to you. The response to the younger son is a radical explanation of the type of patient that God has with us. It's that if you will repent, no matter what you have, where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've squandered or how low you've sunk or how low you feel, the Father of Heaven will welcome you as one of His children. And the normal invitation that I learned growing up was that run to God, right? I implore you to run to God. His arms are open. But this parable makes it even sweeter than that. This is incredible. The invitation is call out to God and He's going to run to you. That's how near He is. A patient father with those who are lost. But He's also patient with the older brother too. So let's examine that a little bit further. The older brother's angry. He feels like he's been wronged. And he's pretty bitter about it. He's worked really, really hard. He hasn't got his party that he thought he deserved. He didn't get what he thought he was owed. And, I mean, I can get pretty heated. I'm a very passionate person. So I probably have been like, yeah, I am mad. Like, my dad one time asked me, are you mad? And my response was, yes. Like, I'm not going to pretend I'm not. I'm mad. Of course I'm mad. My younger brother got a party. He threw it all away. Of course I'm angry and I'm bitter. Like, what other response do you think I'm supposed to have? Right? Heck yeah, man. What does the father do to the, young, the older brother who's bitter? Feels like, I've been with you the whole time, God, and you don't even recognize me. Verse 28 says that he went to entreat him. Now, I didn't really know what that meant. But I found out that in the Greek, that word is parakaleo. And this is incredible. I mean, this just opens the whole passage up. This word, to entreat him, means to comfort and to console. So the, the father responds to the older son, who is bitter and harsh. And he doesn't say, get over it. Just get over it. Come and join the party, get over it. You're being ridiculous. doesn't say that. He entreats him. He comes to him with comfort and consolation. And in patience, and in nearness, the father reminds the older brother, don't forget, you're my child too. You are also my child. And all that I have is yours. It's an incredible display of patience and love from the father. And it's really important to see both sides of the spectrum here, that God is patient with the lost. You could run away and God is going to receive you back, but he's also patient with the found. If you're a part of his family, he's patient with you too. He's not like waiting to throw down the gauntlet. He's patient with you too. 
He's patient with the one who swings on a pendulum of faith, and he's also patient with the one who feels like they've been working in the field for him. The older brother was far from God because he felt like the father didn't give him what he owed, and so he didn't enjoy the gifts that the father had already given him. They were there. The, every single gift that he could have needed, all of his inheritance was there for him to take and to have and to enjoy. And instead of enjoying the plethora of gifts that God had given him, he was stuck in the field trying to earn his way to God, and it made him bitter. And God's not like saying, get over it. I mean, if you're here this morning and you feel like that, he's not telling you to get over it. He's reminding me, or he's reminding you and me too, yeah. You are my child as well. I'm near to you too. I know it feels like you've been working night and day, and I'm not there, but I am. Notice what he said to the older brother. He said, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. And just to close, we see that what actually the sons needed, what they really, really needed more than anything else was their father. The best gift for both the sons was the father himself. And what did the father do? He gave himself fully to them. And it's an amazing way to view this passage, but with the father came all the gifts of the father. So the, the younger brother thought that to, ha- to really enjoy the gifts of God, you have to not have God. And the older brother thought that if you have God, you can't enjoy his gifts. But in reality, if you have the father, you have all that the father has too. And Paul writes about God's character all throughout his letters, and he uses, uh, he uses a linking noun, the word of, a preposition. And he calls God the God of compassion, and the God of mercy, and the God of comfort, and the God of encouragement. And as the father gives himself fully to the sons, The younger son didn't just get compassion from the father, but he did get compassion. He got the God of compassion. See that? He didn't just get the compassion of God, he got the God of compassion. And he didn't just get the mercy of the father, he got the God of mercy. Walking alongside him. And the older brother, when he felt like he was owed it all and he just was bitter... He didn't just get the comfort of God, which he did. The father left the party, went into the field to have a conversation with his older son to comfort him. And he didn't just give him comfort, he gave himself, which was the God of all comfort. And he didn't just get endurance and encouragement from his father, which he needed to say, keep going, you're my son too. He also got the God of all endurance and encouragement. And the prodigal son teaches us that God doesn't just give you platitudes to inspire you. He comes alongside of you. For the broken and the bitter, God is near. And the best gift of God is God himself in Christ Jesus. Closer to us than we really could ever imagine. So I'm going to pray and the music team can come up.
Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.